hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Pass. Welcome to the Ghost Story, guys. I'm Brennan Storr. I'm Paul Bestall. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 162, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. Paul, my friend, how you doing? I'm doing very well. Very well. How are you? I am good. I, I had a, a moment where I got to star in my own personal horror film, which I really <laughs> want to tell you about. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. So there's this coffee shop I've been going to here in Montreal. <laughs> it is, it's called La Grain Brulee. I quite like it. And the thing I love about it is it's open till 11 p.m. That's one of my favorite things about it. Also, it, it, people work there very friendly. The coffee's very good. The baked goods are really good. But really, I like that it's open till 11. But it's in uh, a part of East St. Cat Street, which is it's not great. So they have the bathrooms set up so that the lights strobe. So this is, this is to discourage people from going in there and shooting up. Yes. If you tell the staff, hey, I'm going to go in there, they will turn the lights on for you. So it stops doing that. I generally, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. It's not really bad. You know, I'm only going to be there for a second. But the thing is, I, I've gotten accustomed to wearing my headphones everywhere, my, my earbuds. And I should say the, the bathroom I usually go into, the, the urinal, is really well hidden behind the door of the stall next to it. The door, it's got quite a deep stall mm. because they, they usually leave the doors open, which seems a little weird to me, but you know, what do I know? Uh, but so you, if you're standing in the door of the bathroom, you can't actually see the urinal. It's far enough behind the stall that you, you've got complete privacy. Mm. Downside to this is you walk into that room because I walk fast in the dark with my headphones in, I can't hear if there's someone in there. <laughs> so I come around the corner and I jumped about a mile because there was a dude standing there taking a leak. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, it's like being in a horror movie. You, you don't know what's coming. You just, again, look around the corner and boom, Resident Evil 7. You just jump a mile because there's someone there with his dick in his hand. Oh man, I am sorry. And then you have to pretend like you're not scared. But I'm sure he he probably pissed himself because I, he, I'm sure he was just as scared as I was. And it was, you know, again, you talk about, you and I were talking earlier about it. I went to go see a film that afterwards everyone avoided each other's gaze as they left the cinema. This was a similar experience. He just, let's pretend like you do not exist. I will pretend like I don't exist and we will never speak of this again. <laughs> God almighty. <laughs> No, I don't think I've ever had ever used facilities where they've got strobe lighting. I mean, again, this was a first for me. And uh, I, I know there, there's a pizza place in Victoria. They have blue lights. Yeah, they tend to do that over here in supermarket stalls. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that's, that's fairly common. But uh, the strobe was, was new to me. Hmm. And it's never been a problem. But that's how I learned, yeah, maybe don't wear your headphones to the yeah. bathroom. Just to prevent any unfortunate surprises. Yeah. It does also make you feel like you're... Or doing a, a toilet scene in some kind of dystopian future thriller when you're in a toilet with blue lighting. It's almost as if it's some kind of post-nuclear world. <laughs> no, no. I mean, that, that's how you get a little cosplay action in there. <laughs> Come on, love, let's go to the nuclear bathroom. <laughs> Costumes are so time-consuming. You just go into the fallout bathroom, boom. <laughs> Looks like everybody's got radiation sickness. There, yeah. See? As a nation that grew up on threads, I figure there's got to be at least a few people with that kink. Probably, actually. 
I am really looking forward to this episode, Paul. We are covering Black Dog Stories for the first time since I want to say episode maybe 60-something. Mm-hmm. And we have a wide range of stories because usually Black Dog Stories, they tend to be kind of church grim or really obvious stuff. I shouldn't say obvious stuff, but you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of tropey stuff, the, the, mm. the stuff you, mo- you would think of when you think Black Dog. And while we do have some of those traditional stories on this episode, we also have these really uh, well, some of these sort of heartwarming stories of, of protection and also these really sinister stories of nighttime intrusions from dog-like creatures. Mm-hmm. And I am really curious to get your take on these. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to diving into that. But before we do that, we have to thank our patrons. This one's for the patrons. Patrons, you are the black dog to our Led Zeppelin 4, <laughs> which is to say, you help us get started right. For real though, folks, we could not make this show without our patrons. Everyone who downloads the Ghost Story Guys, you help make us who we are, but patrons are the ones who pay the bills, who allow it all to continue, and for that, we are deeply, deeply grateful. And of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but right now, we'd like to thank our latest patrons. They are... Iris Jimenez. Hega Thunder. Ryan Ajee. Amanda. Dean Vachon. Kelly Hobbs. Melissa Wesley. And Lauren. Again, folks, thank you so, so, so much. We cannot tell you how much your contributions mean to us. And if you'd like to join the team, listen to the end of the show. We'll tell you about all the cool stuff you get. But we will say, for a dollar a month, you get an ad-free feed. And who doesn't want that? Ads suck. To find out more, head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. You can also subscribe via Apple Podcasts. And if you do, make sure to forward your confirmation to us at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. And we will shout you out in the section because we appreciate you folks too. Again, that's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. One last thing, a shout out to our composer, Rainy Days for Ghosts. Rainy Days for Ghosts is a project of the film journalist and composer, Jerry Smith. You can find Rainy Days for Ghosts streaming everywhere. You get your music courtesy of Night Harvest Recordings. That's a Ghost Story Guys house label. And you can purchase the albums at rainydaysforghosts.bandcamp.com. All right, my friend, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with Black Dog Stories. The Forest Walker. For most of my life, I was homeschooled. During that period, it was hard for me to keep track of time. Days, weeks, and years often had little to distinguish themselves from each other apart from a small child's gleeful countdown to holidays. I didn't start registering what day of the week it was until I started public school at 15. We didn't have much of a structure to our homeschooling, so it was often us doing things we could mark off as educational for the homeschool evaluator at the end of the year. This left me a lot of free time that I'd like to use playing in the woods surrounding our farm. If I felt like it, I could play or walk in the woods and stalk or chase whatever animal I came across all day. There were at least semi-dangerous animals like coyotes in these woods, but my mom didn't believe this for years. It wasn't until a chance conversation with a local trapper that she realized she'd been letting me run around coyote land unattended. I knew, though, because I would sometimes see them lined up against the tree line as I cut through fields. I swear one time there were eight, all of them just watching me at once. 
I'd run toward the dogs, which thankfully simply scared them into their burrows. As I became older, I saw them less, which makes me think they were likely looking for a snack. The encounter I want to talk about happened in full daylight, sometime in the early afternoon. I was alone behind the barn shooting arrows at a haystack. I practiced so often at this time, but honestly, I wasn't bad at it. There were only three arrows, so I was often going back and forth to retrieve them. If I ever missed the haystack, the arrows would go pretty far past them into the pasture, and hunting for them in the grass would take forever. On this occasion, I was retrieving them when I noticed, at the end of the far pasture, there was a large, sort of bulky, if not muscular-looking dog sitting somewhat oddly. I was close enough to see its shape quite distinctly, but with it being fully black, there weren't a lot of details to make out. I believe it may have had a dog-like snout, but that could also be a false memory, as I was certain I was looking at a dog. My parents didn't have a dog, so naturally I was curious as to why it was there and wanted to approach the animal to see if I could befriend it. This seemed perfectly natural at the time, probably sounds natural still, but I had the sudden thought that I didn't notice it until I looked up, meaning it might have been sitting there watching me for a long time. It kept sitting there, ten or so feet from the corner of the outer fence, beside what was a rather marshy, overgrown grass and green area, as I began to get closer to it. Then it pushed itself up, no longer sitting. I remember it looked so much taller doing that, like the length of its arms slash front legs were hidden by the black hair and distance. I say arms because this thing started swinging itself into the grass on its knuckles exactly like an ape. I saw it maybe make three of these motions. And then it was gone. Paul, I gotta say, first thing, can you imagine what was going through those coyotes' minds? <laughs> Just watching this child wander through the woods... Is this, is this a trick? <laughs> you know, Chris Hansen is waiting behind a tree. Then the whole to catch a predator crew is just going to descend on them as soon as they uh, as soon as they make a move. But they probably just they thought no this 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 kid is up to something. This kid is poisoned. This kid is some kind of ninja assassin. And the fact it was running towards them must have scared the shit out of them. <laughs> the we don't. Is the killer of coyotes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the end of I Am Legend. <laughs> He's in the prison. He's looking out. He's become their monster. Oh, that was a Richard Matheson deep cut, folks. I, I can't even begin to take the time to explain that to you, but it's a good book. I like it. It is. Varying versions of it have been released as films over the years. I suppose they have. Yeah, there's, uh, what is it? There's The Omega Man. There's Last Man on Earth with Vincent Price. The Omega Man's one that sticks with me because there was that uh, white zombie song, Creature of the Wheel, mm. that had a bunch of clips from it. But anyways, we're getting very far off base here, Paul. What mm. do you think of that one? Interesting, isn't it? I mean, that's often, especially in the UK, when you have black dog sightings, they tend to sort of, some of them, they just seem to be casting their eyes around and just keeping watch on what's going on without really sort of approaching people or interacting. Obviously, there are people that have been chased to their front door by them and others that have been protected by them. So um, there, is a, there is a wide variety of, of these particular legends that there doesn't seem to be, once you sort of dig past the normal cliched versions, there are some very odd parts to these stories wherever you are in the world. And um, I wasn't aware just how prevalent they were in North America, but uh, I'm, I'm fully aware of that and looking forward to Kevin Lee Nelson's new book, which is covering that particular phenomenon. Oh, um, very cool should be out later this year because I wasn't aware of half of the stuff that we were talking about whatsoever. I just didn't realize it was so common in, in North America. Well, it's interesting you say that too, because when I was 
collating this, or I shouldn't say collating, when I was going through the stories that Luke collated for this, you know, there was a lot of people in comment sections going, well, that, that's the black shuck is a, is a British thing. You know, you're in America. That's not what you saw. And I thought, I love how everyone assumes that there's a rule book for this shit. You know, <laughs> like, like they're going to see a black dog in someone's lawn and they're just going to go up to it and start issuing a citation. It's like RIPD, you know, like, nope, you are, this is a temporal mistake. You are in the wrong paranormal zone. Where's your owner? Where's your yeah. lead? <laughs> That's a $200 fine. You're out. There's a, there's a paranormal pound where the uh, bunch of black dogs are being rounded up for not having collars. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, people think that real animals appreciate state borders as if like they they go oh, oh we can't go over there that's georgia let's stay here in florida <laughs> can't go there it just baffles me sometimes how people can be very odd when it comes to animals even spectral animals because normal animals don't follow the rules so why on earth would something from the other side if anything it do even less go where it wants drive a car why not <laughs> I mean, if you're if you are a, an incorporeal being, I don't see why you'd want to be stuck in one place. There's only a finite amount of people you can scare if you're tethered to one point. Whereas if you find yourself a nice moor or a good road or a a nice patch of woodland, there's countless people you can scare shitless. That's you got to broaden your horizons, ghost dogs. <laughs> I do think there is a sense among people in our field. Not not everyone, you know, and and, and I wouldn't even say most people. There there is a subset of people. Who, who do that thing where they they just cultivate these series of hard and fast rules so they can feel like they have some kind of ownership over the stuff. Mm. You know, they, so they can be an expert. They go, oh, well, that's a, that's a padfoot. You know, he only exists here. And, uh, you know, this one, his tail is a little bit longer. That's a this foot. And he only exists here. And it, it's all it's all bullshit, of course. You know, as you say, these things don't necessarily hold to hard and fast rules. But having those qualifications, I guess, maybe makes them feel more like experts. They may feel like that, but they're clearly not. Oh, yeah. No, the people who do that are full of shit. I mean, that's, yeah, no argument here. It's one of those things. It's basically like, tell me you don't know anything about the paranormal without telling me. <laughs> Boy, do I have a bunch of TikTok accounts for you. <laughs> More chance of me reactivating my MySpace account. <laughs> I keep trying, man. There's these folks who who followed us on social media, and they seem like they seem like nice people. But their 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 whole shtick is just reacting to to paranormal videos. I mean, they're doing very well for themselves. They have got a lot of followers. But I I watch it, and you know the guy's got the shocked face in every video. Is this real footage? Nope. I'm going to save your time, brother. No, it's not. It's just not. Get on with your life. You can go get your shopping done. You can do the washing up. Whatever whatever you, whatever you're going to spend time on making this bullshit video, you can just do whatever you take up darts, take up thumb wrestling. You know. <laughs> Catch up, catch up on your on your uh, DVR to television shows because whatever you're looking at on there is just not real. <laughs> I find that very hard to believe. I know. I'm so, I'm so. I know. I'm breaking hearts here, Paul. <sighs> That's my weight ruined. I know you have a very carefully curated TikTok uh, algorithm. <clears throat> I have. So, so <laughs> it's it's so highly functional. It doesn't exist. It's like a Zen in the art of TikTok maintenance. It certainly is. <laughs> I'm curious, just before we move on, this thing seemed to move basically like a monkey. Mm. Is that something you've heard before? Yes. Really? <laughs> There's a couple over here. Um, we have a uh, strange creature down in Shropshire, Birmingham way, known as the Shug Monkey. 
Really? Which is supposed to be a cross between a dog and a monkey um, that was terrifying people at the end of the 19th century. So it's uh, it's one of those strange cases from the UK that doesn't get an airing very often. Um, but it's it's one of those that always always brings a smile to my face, like Jeff the talking mongoose from the Isle of Man, you know? Right. It's just, uh, it's just a great story and um, just very odd. I will try to remember to include a link in the show notes to something about the Shug Monkey because, again, that's that's a new one on me, but I, I am very <laughs> curious. Also, I love the fact that it's in Shropshire because my exposure to Shropshire entirely comes from the old Bugs Bunny cartoons with the Shropshire Slasher. <laughs> well, you'll be in luck because I've got an upcoming episode focusing on all the strange things in and around Shropshire. Magnificent. I knew you'd have me covered. <laughs> Well, I've been to Shropshire more than more than most people in this country, even people in Shropshire, I suspect. <laughs> How is it you've ended up in Shropshire? A family who've lived there for the best part of 40 years, just uh, the other side of Telford. So I know Shropshire quite well. It's where I saw my first Godzilla film, Shropshire. Really? I was watching it at my uncle's oh, okay. uh, down there. And also the first time I saw a Godzilla film advertised at the cinema, Destroy All Monsters, was on at the local ABC Audion. Amazing. In the 70s. So uh, I have uh, fond memories of that particular part of the United Kingdom. And, and like you say, not many people know Booker all about Shropshire, but uh, it's a very nice place and full of beautiful countryside. And if Bugs Bunny is to be believed, dangerous men in striped t-shirts. I would not be surprised what can lurk in those strange hills. <laughs> the Visitors. Last night, after a long night of Smash Brothers at my friend's place, I arrived back at my house around 3.30am to see two black dogs on my porch, just staring at my front door. Their eyes didn't reflect in my headlights or anything, and the larger dog, which looked like a Rottweiler, had no colour to him at all. It was just pitch black. Even with my headlights directly on the dogs, I couldn't make out any features. When I first pulled up, I thought it was my dog, but there was no way he would be so calm with another dog around, especially this late. The second dog, which appeared to be a collie, judging by the markings, seemed very energetic. When I pulled up, they immediately turned around and stared back at me. I don't know how to explain it, but the, the larger dog made me uncomfortable. It was almost as if the smaller, collie-like dog seemed to be holding it back. The big dog's head was lowered most of the time as if it was waiting for me to get out of the car. The smaller dog also discomforted me, but far less than the larger dog. I never felt like the collie wanted to harm me. Either way, I decided I wanted to call my boyfriend as I tried to get past them, in case something happened. But the split second it took me to look down for my phone and back up, both dogs were gone. I have a rather large yard, so there was no way I'd left enough time for them to get out of sight. I should have at least seen them running. I even drove towards the only direction they could have gone in, and there was nothing. They'd basically vanished. When I finally stepped out of the car, it was quiet outside with barely any wind, and somehow it felt noticeably uneasy. My dog wasn't making any sounds like he usually does when I approached the door but when I got in he was in the hallway whimpering and my cat was on edge. I know he was on edge because he immediately ran to me, which doesn't usually happen until I lay or sit down. Despite the lateness of the hour I texted my cousin to ask her opinion. 
I didn't think she would get back to me until morning, but instead she responded immediately. She told me that for the past week she'd been waking up every night around 3.40 to 3.45am, almost like a jolt was passing through her body. She followed this up by saying she'd been outside when my message came in and had heard dogs. It may have been unrelated, but we were both struck by the coincidence. I still have no clarity as to what this experience was or what it may have meant. So we have two stories on this episode, Paul, that I am just certain start with extramarital affairs. <laughs> I don't like to read into what people write. Obviously, these are not listener stories. These are just stories that Luke found online. But there's this one and there's another story. I just think, yeah, I don't think you were out playing Smash Brothers till 3. I mean, maybe you were playing Smash until 3.30 in the morning, but it was not. It was not on Nintendo Entertainment System, if you know what I mean. It was a PlayStation. Of, of a sort. Of a sort. <laughs> well, you see, I'm, I'm just very naive then. I just didn't think. I just thought, mm, it's a shame they like Nintendo. <laughs> My wife works in a place that deals with family law, so. I hear about this stuff all the time and I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, yeah, I think you're full of shit. Like there's one later where a guy gets up and runs out of the house in the middle of the night to deliver some important documents. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you had to deliver some important documents. Mm, I wonder which box he's posting those in. <laughs> hey, yo. <laughs> now I'm curious to know your thoughts on this one. Well, the fact that the animals also seem to be affected by whatever was going on gives it a bit more gravity i think and as as the writer says they've got no clarity on it so clearly it would be easy to sort of say well this must be some kind of portent for whatever reason but i would imagine she would have put two and two together there if someone had passed away or she'd received bad news in regards to why they would be there but it is it does seem peculiar because often they're not seen in pairs but the unusual thing is that you can tell that one was a collie, but you think the other one's a Rottweiler, but it's still just pure black. So clearly the collie wasn't a black dog, because otherwise, how do you know it's a collie? Yeah, that, that's what I kind of thought. It was almost like it had an like a like like an escort or a, hmm? a you know like like yeah like a guide of some kind. Yeah, it, it kind of reminded me of that that uh, Neil Gaiman book that they made to a TV series, uh, Good Omens. Yes, where you've got the uh, the demon and the angel who like to hang out together. Yes. And it just, I thought maybe that's what we got there. We got a, you know, again, an angel and a demon in dog form, just going around the world, screwing with people. <laughs> it's my mum's favorite book. Oh, really? Yes. Yes. And I have to buy her a new copy every five years or so, because she reads it till it falls apart. I love that. I did that with American Gods for a few years. I read American Gods just over and over. I love that book. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're always all right with Neil Gaiman, especially added to Terry, Sir Terry Pratchett. The evening intruder thing kind of reminded me of uh, something that happened. I don't, I don't know if I mentioned this, but um, I had a message from, I was talking to Nick a couple of weeks back and I said, you know, how was your, how was your day? And she goes, oh man, I was so tired this morning. She said, uh, we had a visitor and she sends me a picture of the wall underneath our, our window. And we always leave the, the bedroom window open so our cats can come and go because Bodhi especially, he likes to go out at night. And she said, uh, look at these prints. What do these look like to you? I said, those, are those raccoon? She said, yes. She said, I woke up in the middle of the night to Bodie losing his mind. And I saw this big hairy ass wiggling out the window. And she said, I thought it was him going out. And then I saw him still sitting on the window. I thought, oh, maybe that was Chewy, but I don't think she's that. Wait a minute. She said, I jumped out of bed, stuck my head out the window. And yeah, there's this fat ass raccoon who had 
clearly come into our house, wandered around and just buggered off. And she, she kind of – she said it was almost like he looked back at me like, yeah, hey, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> I've left you a present in the hall. <laughs> On the teacher's desk like in the story from the, mi- from the mini show. <laughs> Clean that up. <laughs> so there was that and then so she you know she's not happy about this and the next night or the next day i get a message from her and you know, so we're chatting and she goes so i said you sleep any better no so did the raccoon come back no he hasn't come back that was the first time raccoons done that by the way we've never mm-hmm. had that problem we've had, we always we've always live around raccoons but that was the first time they come inside she said no it was ginger and there's this ginger cat who just you know the little kid in Home Alone that causes them to leave Kevin behind? The annoying little kid with red hair who just asks questions and looks yeah. at stuff and just gets in the way? This cat is like the, the cat version of him. <laughs> and he basically just came in. I, she woke up in the night. And again, the cats are going mental. She can't figure out what's going on. And she she's okay, looking for the raccoon, looking for the raccoon. No, there's, there's Ginger. He's in the living room. He's meowing by the door. He wants to go outside now because he's obviously come in through the bedroom window. But Bodie <laughs> is freaking out and will let him back in the bedroom. So he's just patiently waiting by the door, wanting to be let out. And the little bastard, I remember he did this once before when I, w- I was at home as fell asleep on the couch with the patio door open. I woke up, you know, closed the door, got up to go to, to go to bed. And I saw this, this thing just zoop by my legs. And I thought, hang on, it doesn't look like one of my cats. And I look over at the food dish and the little fuckers just munching away at the food. He just <laughs> wandered in to have a snack, you know, just, yeah. Little bastard. So, yeah, Nick had her own uh, her own evening intruders. Thankfully, not the paranormal kind so far, at least. <laughs> you love a random person. There was a guy during was it during a lockdown? Got woke up at four in the morning. He could hear loads of disturbance in his kitchen, and he thought, "Oh shit, we've been broken into." And he got in the kitchen. There was a fucking badger in his bin. <laughs> yeah, come through the cat flap. Jesus Christ. <laughs> They're nasty bastards, aren't they? Oh, badgers. They yeah. are if they're cornered. Oh, okay. So me and badgers have something in common? Yes, yes. They are our official largest accepted creature in the uh, in the uh, United Kingdom. Obviously, many people who have seen the mysterious black cats will disagree. Right. But uh, yeah, badgers can, uh, yeah, they're not, uh, they're not to be trifled with. And they are like tanks. We once went to a friend's who lives in the Peak District. And as we were coming back, we had to drive at five mile an hour for about 10 minutes because there was a badger just walking down the middle of the road and there was no way it was moving <laughs> for anybody. <laughs> so we just had to headlights up this badger's arse for 10 minutes till it just <laughs> shot off into a hedgerow. Pursued. To preface, in 2013, I was homeless and living in the local women's shelter. The executive director of the place, a man I'll call Dan, was shady as hell with the creepiest, sleaziest aura around him and a long history of abusive behavior towards shelter clients. But that's an entirely different story. Most nights, Dan left the shelter by 5 p.m., and he was virtually never to be found on the grounds past 7. But one October night, he was still kicking around at 9. A few of the other ladies and I were sitting outside just chatting when we saw him pull his car out of the back driveway and take off down the street like his ass was on fire. His back tires spun out in the gravel before getting purchased. That's how fast he accelerated. And just as his car disappeared, I saw an absolutely enormous black dog or wolf-like creature come leaping through the brick wall where his office was. It took three long strides across the front yard, leapt towards the road Dan had just taken off down, and vanished into smoke. 
Everyone was just quiet for a moment, until I asked if anyone else had just seen that. One of the ladies just said, yep, and we hurriedly rushed to get back inside. I had never felt so deeply and viscerally unnerved than I had that night. I draped so many blankets over my bunk that it was like a little cave, just trying to feel secure enough to sleep. Fast forward to December. We had a new lady in our room and were staying up past lights out to work on some small Christmas gifts. And while we were working, we were quietly telling ghost stories. Well, I happened to mention what had happened in October, and once I'd finished, two things happened all at once. The temperature in the room plunged. It was always a little chilly back there because Dan was too cheap to turn up the heat, or even to turn it on sometimes. But this was cold, like someone had opened the window. Next, the baby in the room next door, who had been dead asleep, let out the most blood-curdling shriek I'd ever heard from her, like someone was hurting her, and started scream-crying so loud she woke up everyone in the shelter. To this day, I don't know what exactly that thing was, but I've been left with a distinct feeling that it was evil, and attached to Dan in some way or another. And it's so fucked up that there are people in positions of power who are just absolutely corrupt like that. I know it happens and I'm being naive, but it just pisses me off. Hmm. Sounds like. Hopefully whatever it was uh, eventually found the guy and haunted him with a lead pipe. <laughs> well, often, they, you know, if the black dog's got the scent of you, then uh, there's only one, one ending to that particular story. I hope it's like the back seat in Pulp Fiction scene. <laughs> is, is that common, the, the Grimm sort of being seen as a, an Avenger? In some stories, yeah. Oh, okay. In some. There are there are so many different strands to it, depending on which one. There are those where it's the, the spirit of a, a hound who died to protect someone, there it's a demon dog, there it has been sent by Satan, there it is the reincarnation of a of a spirit, there it is connected with pirates. It all depends on especially here in the UK, it all depends where you go depending on the origins, you know, even to the to the most famous one, which is the Beast of Bungie, which is the one that um, appeared in a church and killed some of the congregation and scratched the walls and doors, and uh, the the marks can still be seen to this day. Really? Mm-hmm. And whereabouts was this? Uh, Bungie. Uh, where's Bungie? Uh, it's Norfolk, I believe, I think. Norfolk or Suffolk. Oh, okay. Uh, hang on. Let me check. Suffolk. Appeared in, in the neighbouring town of Blyborough as well. And wh- when does that story date, ba- date back to? 1577. So this is not current <laughs> event stuff? No. <laughs> no. No. But um, obviously the Hand of the Baskervilles is based on uh, a legend from Devon or Dorset, which is exactly that story about the Baskerville curses based on real events. Oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah. There was a local landowner who was a shit and... Uh, Apparently, his hounds turned on him and ripped his throat out on the moors. And after that, the, the moors were then haunted by a spectral black dog of gigantic proportions. Well, as someone who's dealing with his own uh, shitty landlord, I, I w- would like to vote for this large black dog in every election in which it happens to find itself. <laughs> <laughs> 
The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Grim. Once, when I was seven years old, I was in a graveyard with my family. It was a family hobby of ours to visit various cemeteries and look for relatives there. This was a very small graveyard located at an old mansion in Nova Scotia. At the time, I was looking in the opposite direction from my family and happened to see a large black dog. At the time, I thought it looked almost like a St. Bernard, but all black, and if I recall right, it had red eyes. Now that I'm older, I can say that it was probably more like a mastiff or a bulky hound dog. I wasn't afraid of it, but I still ran to my mum telling her there was a big black stray dog loose. She looked and didn't see anything. Sure enough, I turned around and the dog was gone. It was a small graveyard on flat land and so a dog that large had nowhere to hide. It just vanished. Years later, I found out that my dad had seen a large black ghost dog when he was a kid and it had attacked him. My grandfather on my dad's side saw the same thing when he was hunting and told my dad about how he had shot at it, but the bullets didn't affect the dog. It chased him for a while and then disappeared. Is my family cursed by a ghost dog? Why did it seemingly only attack my grandfather and dad, but not attack me? Our dogs had the same description, but mine wasn't scary to me. It just stood and watched. Honestly, looking back on it, it felt more like a guard dog. My whole family sees and feels a lot of paranormal stuff, but I've never really, except having seen this possible ghost dog. Though... It could have been a stray dog that just ran quickly. I am almost like the ghost repeller of the family. We've lived in a few fairly haunted places, but nothing ever comes after me or spooks me, which is good, I guess, since I'd probably be terrified. But how come I don't see ghosts and several family members and friends who have lived at the same place as have? This one, you know, it just reminds me of that conversation we have from time to time about people who aren't as sensitive about stuff. Mm. You know, and, and how it can, it, you can be with a group of people and everyone has a certain experience, but there'll be one person who just, no, I didn't hear anything, didn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. And it always goes to me to, to think that there is some kind of element of natural ability about yeah. this. You know, the same way, again, some people have better eyesight, some people have better hearing, you know, whatever. Some people, I think, just have a, an innate sense of this mm-hmm. and some people don't. And imagine how fucking annoying it would be <laughs> your whole family can sense this stuff and you can't. <laughs> like Marilyn in the Munsters. I don't remember that. She's the normal one, isn't she? She's just like a normal teenager and everybody else is like a monster. I didn't know that was a thing. I don't remember that from the Munsters at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mar- is it Marilyn? Who's that? Uh, I'm trying to think if she's the niece or something, but she's just like a random. Is that? Yeah, I'm sure it's the Munsters. Interesting. Because yeah, I, I just, I mean, it's it's that's certainly not in the, uh, the Rob Zombie film, which I have to assume is canon. <laughs> Hang on. Marilyn Munster. I'll be damned. I I had never heard of this. She's their niece. She's uh, Lily's niece. Oh, okay. Well, maybe that would have been in the sequel. Yeah, yeah. 
Have you have you seen the Rob Zombie Monsters film? Of course not. <laughs> I saw the trailer, which is one of the worst things I've ever wasted 150 seconds on in my life. I will say the trailer is terrible. Uh, I really like the movie. I actually I bought it on VOD. It uh, I don't know. It's just kind of fun. It's got this weird kooky charm to it. I, I don't I can't explain it. I think I'm, I'm very much in a minority on this. Uh, and, and I have not been a massive fan of Zombies' last couple of movies. You know, I, I didn't like 31. Uh, what was the other one? I feel like there was one before or after 31 that I wasn't crazy about. Regardless. The ass. <laughs> you know, that could be one. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Stranger things have happened. There's a cave around here, though. Really? The devil's ass? Yeah, people play gigs in it. Really? Mm-hmm. It's in the peaks. Up near Castleton. The devil's ass. They do film showings over the summer there, and we're going to see The Lost Boys. I'm trying to think if that's in The Devil's Ass. No shit? Okay, well, that's kind of cool. I watched The Lost Boys in The Devil's Ass. That, <laughs> there's Chris Hansen again. <laughs> you know, I've never seen The Lost Boys. What? I know. I know. It's I've a, never it, seen it. What? I know. <laughs> I've seen Predator the Quietest, but I have not seen The Lost Boys. That is, that's weird. What's wrong with you? I mean, that's a long list. <laughs> yeah, they, they were playing at, at uh, Cinema de Park the, uh, as part of their, their like midnight movie thing. And for whatever reason, I didn't make it to that one. And so I still have never seen The Lost Boys. It's fucking brilliant. That's what I'm told. I mean, they played the preview a bunch when I went to go see, say, Evil Dead and a few other things. And it looked cool. I don't know how I've missed it this long, but... Yeah, I recognize that the shirtless dude with the saxophone, that's where that comes from. And I didn't yes. know that. I just yeah. thought this was a thing that people were horny for in the 80s. It just kind of was generated by the consciousness itself, you know, just sort of like a horny tulpa. <laughs> I did not realize it came from the Lost Boys. Yeah, yeah. it's a wonderful film. So I saw it the same day I watched The Lost Boys and Die Hard for the first time. Holy together, shit. Same night. And everything changed. The next day, I was stuck in a ventilation shaft fighting off vampires. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I got that call from the police. <laughs> again. Come get your co-host. Okay. Is he in the ventilation shaft again? He's in the ventilation shaft again. Well, that burglar dressed as Father Christmas that they had to get out of that chimney over here in America somewhere. Oh, man. I, that just makes me think of, uh, what was that movie called? Um Oh, isn't there a thing in a film where somebody's, somebody tries to pretend to be Father Christmas and they die in the chimney? Yeah, that, oh, what was that? Oh. Movie where Santa dies <laughs> in chimney. <laughs> I just imagine that the Google's like, oh, they must be recording. Oh, it was, uh, it's, it's a story that Kate tells Billy in Gremlins. That's it. Yeah. So dad isn't, is it a dad or a grandfather? Yes. It's her father. Yeah. I, you know, again, that may, it just makes me think of Silent Night, Deadly Night, <laughs> where Santa Claus is a, is a murderous maniac or Deadly Games. Have you ever seen that one? The French film, no. which is like evil home alone, where a kid living in this, this rural French castle is being chased by a madman dressed as Santa who's broken in. It's weird. It's, I think it's called, yeah, Deadly Games. It's, it's on shutter. Uh, fair warning folks, a dog dies badly. So, you know, if you have a problem with animal cruelty, I mean, obviously the dog didn't really die, but some people just struggle watching it depicted on screen. Uh, but yeah, that's a, 
That's a messed up movie. Mm-hmm. No, I've never heard of that. Come for black dog stories. Stay for obscure French films about murderous <laughs> Santa Claus. <laughs> a guardian in the dark. I remember when I was very young, growing up on Vancouver Island, I used to play alone in our two acres of woodland. I always knew there was something with me, and I familiarized it as a dog, but it was not until much later that I found it was more than just a figment of my imagination or some invisible friend. The first time I saw it, I was about 12 years old and living in Powell River, BC. Me and my best friend were walking around the trailer park she lived in, which was situated beside the woods. It was late, about 11 at night, and we were excited her mom let us take a walk by ourselves. As we rounded a corner, we noticed that there was a gathering of a few of the local cats all making quite a fuss. As we approached the corner where they were clustered, we turned to look in the direction they were facing. About four lots away, sitting beneath the streetlight, was a huge black dog. My eyes were transfixed. I just wanted to get closer. As we got within maybe four meters of the dog, it faded away. Ever since then, I have seen him periodically. This being a small town, I always felt quite safe, walking home alone or taking strolls in the moonlight, and often while doing this, I would catch him out of the corner of my eye. I didn't think too much of him and always enjoyed his presence. It was about the time I turned 16 when I began to suspect he was more of a guardian. My boyfriend at the time seldom walked me home. He would make up excuses why he couldn't, and as I didn't really feel there was much danger, I would usually take the alleys to avoid main streets which could house drunken boys or cops wondering why you were out past dark. I'll admit the pitch black alleys were creepy, but what was I afraid of? Well, after a few months of walking home alone, one evening I realized I wasn't alone. I could feel someone walking beside me, a dog. I have a real dog of my own at home, and it was exactly the same feeling. The slightest of brushes up against my leg. The soft breathing. Often I'd even hear the click of his nails on the tarmac. But he would only stay through the portion of the walk that was completely black. When the streetlights appeared and the alley ended, I'd turn and see a shadow disappearing back into it. I began to enjoy the company, but was very alarmed one time when my boyfriend called, right after one of the few occasions he had walked me home. He said that after we had said goodbye, he felt something following him. He walked faster, and it sped up. He got an overwhelming bad feeling and began to run, and it started to make these awful howling noises that were completely otherworldly. He was so scared he didn't know what to think. As he ran out of the alley, he turned to look just in time to see a shadow disappearing into the gloom. All I could do was laugh and tell him that was who had been walking me home safe all these months. And it was probably angry with him for not doing it. That was just speculation, of course, but it felt right. I now live and work in a major city and still see my padfoot friend from time to time, often in alleys like the one my door faces. Or I will sit outside by myself and... If I feel uneasy, I will ask if he's around. Sometimes I can make out the clear shadow of him in the garden or in front of the hedges. On one occasion, I hadn't seen him in some time, but had been talking to him a fair bit. This sounds crazy, sure, but sometimes I think maybe if he's really watching over me, he might be listening, too. It was the middle of the day, and I was midway through my house chores. 
As I walked into the bathroom, I was met by the most pungent aroma of wet dog I have ever smelled. I almost felt paralyzed. The closest dog to the house I rent is across the street, and our landlord doesn't allow animals. So I was just left smiling and thinking, yeah, he must be listening. So th This might be a sexist thing to say, Paul, but I just think, what kind of lazy bastard is this boyfriend? not walking this girl home and she thinks, oh, I'm safer walking through the fucking alleys. Like, Disgraceful. I, I, I was someone, I was, had really bad social anxiety when I was a kid. I didn't realize that's what it was at the time, but looking back, I realized that's what it was. Mm. And I would, I would do that. I would walk through the alleys to avoid running into people because I didn't, I didn't know how to act when you saw people. You know, I didn't know if you should say hi to people. Uh, yeah, you know, it's just no shock to anyone that I very likely discovered, pardon me, that I discovered later in life I'm very likely on the spectrum. Yes. So I would just, yeah, I would just walk through the alleys because it was easier. But, um, you know, my, it used to scare the shit out of my family, mm. you know, because my, my grandmother still had this idea that, that hobos were just, you know, hiding out in the alleys waiting to uh, devour passing children. Yeah. You know, and looking back on it, I, I sort of sympathized to, with them to a certain degree because I realized you're not exactly safer. No, not at all. You think you are, but it's probably stranger things down those alleyways than there are on the streets that you could meet. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking about it. I used to, uh, I used to hang out with a friend of mine and I would, she lived on a, a basically like a dead end street. And so when I would drop her off at the end of the night, I would always drop her off at the bottom of the street and she just had to walk up, you know, about, I don't know, 200, maybe like 300 feet up this hill to her, her walkway. Uh, but then one night after I dropped her off, cause I thought, well, what could happen in that short amount of space? But then one night after I dropped her off, uh, apparently some guy really quite scared her in that, you know, a short amount of space, uh, again, like mm -hmm. half a block. And so I started, instead of just going to the bottom of the hill, because it was a dead end street, I used to have to like do a 62 point turn to get around. I just started taking her right to her goddamn sidewalk. Yeah. Because I just couldn't stomach the idea of like, okay, if some, if that happens again and something happens, I could have easily have just taken her the extra 200 feet. And how do you live with yourself? Definitely. It's better to be safe than sorry, as, uh, yeah. as strange as that may sound. You never know. I mean, we were once walking home and we walked to, to a friend's house. We were going for a few drinks afterwards and um, we had to cut through this, past this old playground. It was like two o'clock in the morning and one of the lads was showing off and he stormed off in front on his own. So he looked like he was on his own. And as we walked past this playground, this guy just appeared like he'd come out the trap door and the floor. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, that looks a bit weird. Because he just appeared from nowhere and just started following him. And I thought, yeah. So we just ran. And as we were running, this guy obviously must have clicked. He weren't on his own. So he shot off down an alleyway, vanished. Oh, man. It just, it just takes a second. It just takes a second. You know, I, there are so many people who, who have this notion that, uh, you know, bad things happen to other people. You know, they have main character syndrome. And, you know, as someone who is acutely aware of, again, because, you know, I'm around by myself a lot at night, and this, is, this isn't even a male-female thing. This is just a, a predator and prey thing. Because, again, I've been out at night and thought, yeah, I'm fine. And then there's been other times I've been out at night and realized, yeah, I am not safe being yeah. out here on my own. So is this a common thing, though, the, the padfoot or the shuck as guardian? Yep. Usually they will protect the vulnerable or the lone traveler if they feel that they may be 
able to be preyed upon or defenseless. It, there are loads of stories of women or people who lost in certain areas who end up being accompanied by a shuck either to the side or behind them, just keeping an eye out and watching them till they reach wherever they're going. There's loads of stories like that. Interesting. So where do you think the notion of it as a devil dog comes from? Because it seems like, you know, most of the stories we've talked about, they're not, at least so far, there's a couple coming up which are a little hairier, but they don't seem threatening exactly. I mean, obviously the, the, the Beast of Bungie is the story that started the Shook legend in the UK, whereas that obviously killed people in the church. So obviously the connection was it must have been sent by Satan to punish them. Um but also towards the latter end of the 19th century, there was a lot of writings that focused on the, the shuck being a sort of emiracy of, uh, of the devil. Oh. <laughs> of the devil. And, uh, and also the word shuck. Uh, oh, hang on a minute. He's crying. The oh, word okay. shuck is derived from the old English for, for demon or, or devil eye. Oh, okay. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, the problem I have with that is imagine you're the Lord of Darkness. You are the, the creator of all evil on this earth. And you decide to punish, for whatever reason, a church full of people. This particular, again, you're the creator of all, of all darkness, but this one particular church has really got your attention. So you decide, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show them what I can do as singular Lord of the underworld. I'm going to send a dog after them. Like, I just feel like the, he's, he's not really trying very hard. He's hmm. taking it easy. Just easing yeah. himself into a bit of uh, bit of vengeance. <laughs> yeah, he's just having a duvet day. He just can't be bothered. Uh, uh, dog. Just send a dog. Yeah, well, he delegated the tasks out to one of his minions. <laughs> Satan is the original middle manager. It's his staff who's actually doing all the work all this time. Bunch of bunch of like interns in hell. They're just trying to get uh, get their hours so they can get a job at I don't know Halliburton or something. <laughs> It's where Monsanto does all their training. They, their interns all have to uh, have to intern in hell first. A lesson learned. When I was around 15 or 16 years old, my family all went out to a party that I, being a teenager, wanted to skip. They were planning to be out quite late, so my mum was hesitant to let me stay by myself. But I remember pleading with her, telling her I needed to get some homework done. She finally agreed to let me stay on the condition that I stay inside, didn't answer the door for anyone, and if anyone were to call on the phone, I wouldn't tell them I was home alone. I agreed to all of those, so my parents and siblings left around 6pm with the promise to return by midnight. I was ecstatic to have the house all to myself, I had the music on full blast, made a mess in the kitchen, and stayed on the phone with my best friend. Next door to my friend lived one of the more popular kids from school who had friends over, and they were hanging out. My friend was looking out of the window while she was on the phone with me, telling me what they were doing. She insisted I come over, since she only lived a couple of blocks from me. I made the bad decision to go over to her house, telling myself that I was going to pretend just to drop something off to her, and maybe just stay for ten minutes and run back home. It was early enough. I could do this. Well, I got to her house, and when she saw me approaching, she snuck out and we stayed talking for a few minutes. Of course, the guy saw us and told us to come over to hang with them. I remember the flirting, the giggling, and trying to ride on their skateboards. 
I was having the time of my life. One of the neighbours came out and told us to be quiet. We were making a lot of noise and it was late. That's when it suddenly hit me. I was in so much trouble. I told everyone I had to go and took off running like crazy. All the way over to my house I was praying that my dad's car wasn't parked in the driveway. I remember running and mumbling, please, please, please don't let them be here. And then when I was close and didn't see a car, I changed it to, thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, my happiness was short-lived, because blocking my way to get into my yard was a huge black dog. I used to be afraid of dogs. I never had one as a pet growing up. It also didn't help that this dog was huge, looked pissed off and was growling at me. I crossed the street and kept walking, thinking that I could go around him. But it was as if he knew my intentions and he was intent on not letting me pass. I stood there for a long while trying to think of a plan, but in every one of them, I ended up being mauled by this giant dog. Then I would think about how my parents were coming and what would happen to me for disobeying them, and I wasn't sure what was worse. Finally, I went with being mauled to death and decided to go for it. I crossed the street, shaking my head down and my fingers in my ears. I never lifted my head, but I knew I was at the door of the gate. I opened it and walked into the yard. I knew I wasn't safe yet because the fence was not that high and somehow I knew that dog would have no trouble jumping over it. I kept walking, but chills were running up and down my spine. Finally, I got to the front door and made it inside the house, intact. Immediately I went to the window to look out and see what the dog was doing. I didn't see it and I was on my tiptoes trying to look over the fence. And that's when I noticed the headlights of my dad's car pulling into the driveway. My nosy sister noticed me and ratted me out to my parents. Of course, they asked what I was doing looking out of the window, so I told them I'd heard a dog barking and seen a big black dog out there. They told me they didn't see anything, and it was probably lost or astray because our neighbours didn't have any big dogs. The dog would have to have gone inside a neighbour's yard because we lived on a dead-end street and my family didn't see anywhere on the street when they arrived. That night was the first and last time I saw that dog, and maybe it wasn't anything paranormal, but I sure learned my lesson. You know, it's, I was thinking about this. I never snuck out of the house when I was a kid. Sure. I was the lamest, the lamest kid as far as that kind of stuff goes. Yeah, I sneaking just... out's easy. Sneaking in's the hard one. <laughs> okay, so I guess I'm not surprised Paul Bestel has experience in this. <laughs> you know, I, I I would watch movies and I would be, I would be like, uh, I, you know, like they would always sneak in and out of the rooms using the trellis or something. <laughs> and I was a man that always seemed so cool. But you know, one, I I was not a, a small child and I would have destroyed any trellis I tried to climb up. <laughs> <laughs> and and two, just yeah, the house was not set up like that. But uh, yeah, so how, how would you sneak back in if, you know, you were going to do such a thing? Well, you would perhaps sometimes leave the front door unlocked because they never used the front door. They always went out the back, so they never used the front door. So you just had to make uh -huh. sure that you checked it before you went out. Um, or you would leave a window unlocked and slightly two. do it that way. They were usually the best ones of uh, ways of getting in 
or you would leave your bedroom. When we moved house, there was a garage, thankfully, that ran underneath my window. But by that age, I wasn't too bothered. They just—they were just glad to know I was coming home. Right. <laughs> <laughs> At that particular age. So, yeah, you, you learn these techniques. I, um, I can't help but notice that uh, your, your schoolboy antics are remarkably similar to those of burglars. <laughs> there, there is some overlap I'm, I'm seeing here, Paul. There is. I can categorically state I have never burgled or stolen anything in my life other than people's harp. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, now that I believe. Yeah. I once impressed when I first started at Lead Mill, somebody who I got to be very good friends with at that period of time, who he ran the uh, promotions team. He was one of the promotions managers and uh, they got this really crappy Ford Escort van and the handle had come off it and everything. And uh, I'd just been doing something in the cellar one Friday morning and he came in and he's like, oh, that bloody van. I said, the handle's come off. We can't get it open. I said, all right. Oh, oh okay. Let's have a look. So he said, uh, uh, said, all right, okay, I'll be back in a minute. Went in, went into the cloakroom, got a metal coat hanger, came back out, fished around a bit. So there you are, mate. Easy peasy. Jesus. Can also uh, triage combat wounds and... Uh... <laughs> I've never stolen a car, but I know plenty of people who have. And if there's one thing, if there's one thing people who, like, who, who steal cars like to do more than steal cars is to tell you how they steal them. Really? Yeah. So now I, I just finished reading this book about Charles Manson. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not usually a true crime guy. It's, it's not really my genre. But my friend recommended it to me. And the author is, an, is a reporter who felt like he had a fresh perspective on that, you know, the Manson family crimes. And now I, I don't necessarily uh, agree with his conclusions. I think he raises some interesting points. Um, and I think, you know, there is a reason to call the official narrative into question in the broad strokes. I still think the family did what they did, but I, I do, it does sound like, um, what's his name? Buglios, Vincent Bugliosi may have omitted some details to make it a cleaner narrative to, mm. so there were fewer questions, but there's this one figure in the book who is mentioned a number of times who just cannot stop telling people he's in the CIA. <laughs> and I just feel like if you're actually in the CIA, you don't go around advertising it. But knowing what now about this, about the car thieves, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> well, there's all, all kinds of tricks. There used to be one particular type of car here in the UK that if you got a tennis ball and cut it in half, if you put it over the lock and pumped it, it would automatically open the locks because they were pressured. Simple as that. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Folks, you learn all kinds of stuff here. On Ghost Story, guys. <laughs> so they would always regale you. That, you know, having worked in the uh, criminal rehabilitation service several years ago as well, it is a fact. They, they, they do like to tell you what they've done and how they did it. That is fascinating. I, I guess after you've been caught, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So, yes, the stories are... <laughs> that one at lads, he was a very nice guy. Um, but he got he got eight years for uh, kidnap and uh, and theft. And he said, "Well, he wasn't really kidnapped. He said we just tied the driver up of the lorry we stole. We weren't going to hurt him. We just didn't want him running off. <laughs> so we let him go. We didn't hurt him. Nobody hit him. Just tied him up. Told him to sit down, and he did. 
I don't know what everyone's getting. So people are so offended, so easily offended these days. God, he, he, were, he were very, very annoyed that he'd been charged with kidnapping. He said, we didn't kidnap him. He was still in his own van. <laughs> I didn't realize you did that for work. Yeah, yeah. I was helping rehabilitating offenders. I was helping them get uh, job ready. So CVs and liaising with local companies to, to help them give people a chance with criminal records. Well, at least this guy, you know, he's driven a truck before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you could also get you a mobile phone. No questions asked. Because there was a truck full of them and they never found them. <laughs> Honestly, there were nothing you couldn't get. If I'd have asked for a rocket, somebody had turned up the week after we won. So, I, yeah. I'd say these are valuable people to know, but I don't know that they are. Yeah, I mean, it's good to know them. It's good for them not to know where you live. That seems reasonable. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we actually, we had that with one of Nick's clients at work. Because again, she works, uh, I don't like to say where she works, but she works in a part of the government that again, kind of helps people with the court process. And she had a client and and this woman was kind of a pain in the ass. And <laughs> then we were walking through the apartment of our building, or pardon me, the lobby of our apartment building one day. And Nick, this woman walks past us and she says to Nikki, hello. And Nikki goes, hello, in this voice I'd never heard her use before. And she said, let's, let's not go to our apartment right away. Okay. I said, yeah, well, why, why? That was a client, and I don't want her to know where I live. Oh, I've just remembered Steve's out of town for the weekend. Come on, let's go. <laughs> God damn. Standing. Last year, my girlfriend of 25 years and I decided to get married. We wanted a quiet honeymoon, so we booked a log cabin in a serene little Scottish town called Aracar. The first night happened to be Halloween 2016, and my wife went to bed early. Eventually, I followed sometime after midnight. Around 3.30 in the morning, as I was sleeping on my stomach, I felt something grabbing or trying to bite my calf through the bedsheets. At home, we have three cats, one of which has a habit of jumping over my back early in the morning, so I'll wake up and let her out. My first sleepy thought was that this was my cat, but then of course I realized that it couldn't be. I turned to see what it was and standing in front of the bedroom door was what I can only describe as a large black dog standing on its hind legs. Well, it had the features of a dog, but no eyes. As I watched it, it gestured with its paw three times, as if to beckon me towards it. I froze for a couple of seconds, then managed to blurt out the words, Fuck off! Then all of a sudden it just disappeared. My wife slept through it. I didn't want to tell her because we still had four nights left. The afternoon of the second day, my wife told me she didn't like it and thought the place was eerie, so I eventually told her what I'd experienced. She wouldn't go into that room herself, so she called our daughter, who considers herself a white witch, as she used to see the spirits of who she referred to as her other mum and dad. And she also had books on spiritual matters. My daughter told me that seeing a black dog was a portent of death and to put certain symbols around the bed. After that, I never saw it again. I contacted the company, but no one else had made any complaints. I later found out that the Aracar Hotel is next to a lock, which also has stories of a green lady and a black dog. So, Paul, I really want to know what you think of that one. Well, it's too late, because the dog's already been. So if it's brought into <laughs> death, it's hard lines. A little bit like closing it? the barn door after the horse is out? Yeah, I mean, it, that doesn't make sense. 
<laughs> you know, I, I would suggest that that is something else, not that. I mean, to be fair, when I spoke with Graham Milne, who was the haunted tour guide from Edinburgh, his own personal story about what happened to him on his honeymoon was he he encountered a giant dog in in the suite they were staying in, which surprised him. He's, but his was more like a giant wolfhound that just appeared in this room they were in that shocked him so much he dropped his tea. Interesting. And do you know where he was staying? Uh, he was staying in a very famous, oh, the witchery in Edinburgh. So it's oh, a, a okay. place synonymous with paganism and, and uh, spiritualism and things. So uh, it was, it was, it has a reputation as, as being a haunted location. And um, he tells the story on the episode, tells us all about it. And, what, and something else happened afterwards that basically floored him in connection with that. So, uh, yes, but you don't really get stories about black dogs and their ilk appearing in people's houses. Well, and, and, and not just the black dog, but the fact that this one gestured the way it mm. did, that, that's the one that really disturbed me. That's why I, I included this one and took something else out. <laughs> that, that's a very human thing to do. You know, the whole Mortal Kombat, you know, get over here kind of thing. <laughs> the very, very human trait. Yeah. It's not something that, as far as I'm aware, there's much precedent for, especially in the UK in black dog law, um, that they have such communication that they're able to sort of gesture and make sort of human-like movements or even speech or people that think things. I mean, I know, obviously... When you look at some of the stories about dogmen and things, there are people that claim to have received psychic messages from them and or that they feel their intent and they're being told what this creature can do to them if it wanted to. Or I'm sure there's a couple where they gestured towards people. But in the, you know, I would say 99.9% .9 of black dog stories from the UK, I've never heard of them acting in that manner. Intruder. In November of 2007, I was just about to get into bed ahead of an early morning when my mobile phone started ringing. The caller turned out to be a friend to whom I had been meant to deliver important papers earlier in the day. I had completely forgotten about this and as they had to be filed first thing next morning, it was necessary for me to jump out of bed and run them across town. I told my wife I'd be back in an hour or so. After dropping off the documents, I made my way back, and to my surprise, all the lights were on in the bungalow. I started worrying and hastened to get inside because it didn't seem right. Once inside, I saw my wife sitting in the living room with my five-year-old still asleep next to her on the sofa. My wife was looking pale, and I asked her what was wrong. She began telling me that straight after I left, she turned off the light to go to sleep. Around five or so minutes later... She heard the bedroom door creak, slowly open, and then she felt the whole room go cold. She initially thought it was a draught, but then she felt something jump on the bed. Whatever it was then started growling like a dog. She said she couldn't move and that this thing was trying to get at my daughter sleeping next to her. She tried to scream as the duvet was slowly pulled down. The thing was growling loudly and it wasn't until she began to utter a prayer that she felt it leap off the bed and run off out of the room. She then got out of the bed and turned the light on. She had picked my daughter up and turned on every light in the house, then come out into the front room to wait for me. 
Naturally, I was freaked out by what she was telling me and I tried to shrug it off as perhaps some kind of nightmare or night terror, but she was adamant that it felt too real to be a bad dream. Deep down inside, I was apprehensive as certain other strange things had occurred since problems with damp had forced us to move our bedroom into a previously unused room right across the hallway. Previously, loud banging noises like something heavy had fallen from a height would occur at times from this bedroom. But whenever I had checked, everything was normal. Me and my wife would also have bad nightmares of big black dogs, snakes and an evil old man whose face we could never see but we would feel a great sense of evil from. I also once heard a voice say, I'm really pissed off now, in my left ear whilst lying down in bed in a very creepy voice with an English accent. A month or so later, my wife had to go abroad to Pakistan as her sister was getting married. I couldn't go with her as I had business to attend to and my daughter would stay with my parents for the three weeks that she was going. Anyway, the first night after she left, I tucked up into bed around 12.45am. I was very tired. Just as I was falling asleep, I heard the door start creaking just before it swung open, as if pushed hard from outside. Then I felt something heavy jump onto my bed and bite at my duvet. This thing began growling and pulling the duvet even harder, when I jumped out of my bed and shouted, What the hell do you want? I was livid and wanted to hurt this thing, but there was nothing there. I looked towards the door, which was moving slowly until it shut itself. I ran to the light and switched it on, then sat there for five minutes or so, my heart racing. I suddenly remembered the incident with my wife and the hairs on my body stood up. I began to recite some prayers. I then went to my sitting room and turned the TV on. I just sat there contemplating what had just happened and I knew it wasn't a dream. Whatever this thing was, it wasn't happy and didn't want me and my family in that room. Me and my family have since moved from that property, and we haven't had any similar incidents in our new place. But every now and again, I sense that someone, or something, is watching me, as does my wife. So earlier I mentioned there was another story <laughs> that I thought was absolutely someone who was, was cheating on their, on their spouse. And it's this guy. <laughs> my wife's away for three weeks, so I'm going to send my daughter away. Yeah, yeah, that's, I just, I need some space. And like Kanye West in an elevator, I need my me time. No, absolutely not. You son of a bitch. <laughs> I know what this is. It's not the black dog. It's the infidelity hound. Yeah, he's, he's actually a PI, infidelity dog PI. <laughs> he's like Perry Mason. Once he gets on a case, he's like a, a dog with a bone. <laughs> boo, boo. <laughs> Get off the stage. Sorry, I should have paused for effect there. Woof. <laughs> Wonderful jokes aside, I am curious what you think of that one, because obviously like the person in question, the son of a bitch in question, is not the one who had the first experience. <laughs> well, it's, it's one of those, isn't it? I mean, just because it's growling, why do they think it's a dog? Unless they say, well, is it a dog that sounds like a dog that growls? Because nobody sees anything. They just get this feeling and this True. clawing at the duvet or whatever. It clearly doesn't like either of the parents for whatever reason. And it's a bit strange as well, because obviously if the daughter's asleep at the side of the bed, why is it trying to get over the bed to get to the daughter? Why doesn't it just go to the daughter? It's a bit, hmm, I'm not sure. I mean, 
just because it's it's a bit strange because yeah like you say neither of them see it they feel it they hear it but they don't see it wouldn't it be kind of great if it was just two people gaslighting each other <laughs> you know she knows what he's up to so she concocts a story for when he gets back so he feels guilty for leaving and then it kind of gets into his head so he sort of inceptions himself into thinking he's being attacked by a giant dog mm. hopefully when she went to her sister she just secretly brought the daughter and didn't go back <laughs> <laughs> Put out a supernatural contract. Yep. Send what was his name? Infidelity Hound? Infidelity Hound. <laughs> oh man. That's I, I wish I could draw Paul because that's a t-shirt. <laughs> Infidelity <laughs> Hound, attorney at law. <laughs> well, you know, there are many strange stories about dog creatures, aren't there? Some of my favorite Fortean stories involve strange dogs like the um, oh, I'm trying to think whose wife it was. There was a, fa was a famous UFO researcher, and his wife was driving along somewhere, and she parked up. At, she pulled up to a junction to turn, and this car was next to her. And as she looked over, there was a dog sat in the car, and it just looked and waved at her. Oh God! And then it just drove off and went the opposite direction. So the dog was in a car. Sorry, I understood that the dog was in her car. No, it was in another car. Right. It wasn't driving the car, it was sat, but it was sat like a person would. So with its arm and its paw out on the window, on the, on the window frame, <laughs> and it just looked at her, waved, and then they drove off the opposite direction she went. That, that's like a scene from that werewolf novel I keep talking about trying to write. <laughs> trying to think what the other one, there's another one. Oh, where was that? Where somebody saw... Two dog creatures wearing trench coats, smoking. What? I'm trying to think where that was. That was in the States somewhere, I'm sure it was. Somebody reported that. That's infidel that was Infidelity Hound and his associate Embezzlement Wolf. <laughs> A hard day at work on the side of the angels. <laughs> The one of the, the dog one, uh, sorry, the car one reminds me of something that happened. And again, I probably told the story, but about almost 20 years ago now, I was in the town of Kelowna in BC and I was there with a friend of mine and uh, she was, I can't remember where we were heading. I think she was driving me to the bus station in the morning, but she was terrified of clowns, terrified of clowns. And it's about eight in the morning, nine in the morning, something like that. She was taking me to uh, the bus station before she went to school. And we pull up at a, at a traffic light and the light seems to be taking much longer than usual. It just wouldn't change, wouldn't change. She looked over at the car next to us and there was a clown driving it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's this, I assume some birthday clown or uh, who knows, but there was this clown sitting in the front seat driving this car. I thought my friend's soul was going to exit her body. <laughs> the rapture. Oh, it would have been graciously welcomed at that point. Oh, oh. That reminds me of another joke. Oh, no. How, how do you get four elephants in a car? Two in the front, two in the back, silly. <laughs> Where else would they sit? Stupid me. <laughs> I, got, I got one for you. I, I heard this on a podcast the other day. What's a DJ's favorite pasta sauce? <laughs> I don't know. Marinara? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we've just completely, we've completely jumped the shark at this point. 
And uh, really, I, I guess that's going to bring to a close our episode on black dogs. I hope you folks have enjoyed it. And of course, if you have a black dog story of your own, shoot us a message, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We would love, love, love to hear it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. there listeners before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button i promise you this isn't an ad we wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health on this show i've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help and when you start to feel like there's no help it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be, it's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the new number to call is 988. That's 988. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT. That's S-H-O-U-T to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing Please know that we've both been where you are, and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. As always, thanks to Luke, Sarah, Anthony, Joseph, and everyone else who's part of the Ghost Story Guys family. Don't forget to check out Luke's podcast, Luke Lore, available everywhere you get your podcasts. And Joseph is host of The Cardinal Rule, which you can find on YouTube, and if you are a fan of Arizona Cardinals football, that's a place to go. And of course... Thanks to you, my friend and co-host, the one, the only, the inimitable, Paul Bestel, the paranormal Johnny Carson himself, host of Mysteries and Monsters. Paul, what's coming up on Eminem? This week we delve back into the UFO phenomenon with some strange stories of black triangles seen over the United Kingdom with a, with a first-hand witness who had an incident that changed his life. Um, so that's pretty strange. And then coming up after that, I've got the marvellous Lindsay Brisbane, who tells me about her true story, The Chilling, which she's done a podcast on, which is quite a terrifying true ghost story. Yeah, I've listened to a couple episodes of The Chilling so far. It's pretty good stuff. 
Yeah, brilliant. She uh, she was very humble about it because obviously she did it all herself and and put it out there thinking it'd be dreadful. Really? Uh, yeah, Because <laughs> I was like, it's I've not dreadful at this. all. <laughs> no, it's brilliant. It's so well made. Um, and um, I would warn anybody if you're going to start it. Trigger warning: the first episode deals with domestic violence in in quite a shocking way. Yeah, it's pretty rough. But uh, okay, all right. And where can everyone find you online? Mysteries and Monsters is across all social media platforms, and you can find the podcast wherever all good and some bad podcasts exist. Excellent. I'm Largely the Truth on Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky. You can find my horror movie show, Weird Together, on podcast platforms everywhere, and I co-host that with Joseph Camo, and we review the latest and greatest in independent horror films. On our most recent episode, we talk about Unwelcome, a brand new piece of folk horror from Ireland about the Far Derrig. The, the little people, the red caps. It's a really solid movie. It's kind of like a, a really dark version of Gremlins coupled with Straw Dogs, which is an odd combination of films, but it is, it's pretty great. And talking about it was a really, really good time. And you'll find a link to that in the show notes. And again, you'll find Weird Together on podcast platforms everywhere. As we said at the top, this show exists because of our patrons. If you'd like to join the team, head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. We have all kinds of digital rewards, physical rewards, monthly live shows, all kinds of cool stuff. And we just have a really great community of people too. And if you want to take part, again, that's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. If you've got a comment, question, or story for the show, shoot us an email at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We are on Instagram as The Ghost Story Guys. We're on Facebook as Ghost Story Guys. And we are on Reddit as r slash Ghost Story Guys podcast. Shout out to our composer, Rainy Days for Ghosts. Rainy Days for Ghosts is a project of film journalist and composer Jerry Smith. You'll find Rainy Days for Ghosts streaming on music platforms everywhere via Night Harvest Recordings. That is the Ghost Story Guys house label. Or you can buy albums directly from Jerry at rainydaysforghosts.bandcamp.com. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter Kursov of Pizzanta Music. Find more from him by searching for Pizzanta Music wherever you get your tunes. And I guess that's going to do it. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. But until then, Into the Darkness We Go. is the zodiac i was gonna say dear boss but no that was jack the ripper it was indeed it was indeed (laughs) food's fabulous people are nice it's a beautiful place beautiful country literally and and yet you know you watch something as batshit mental as bay of blood or whatever it's called fuck me (laughs) the fuck is going on in that film and they were talking about the political situation in italy in the 70s and i thought oh okay that sounds awful what they call the the little Moto Guzzi, the you know guys robbing people from motorbikes and shit. I would be so mad if someone in a fucking motorbike robbed me. I just I just feel so belittled. Like it, I don't know. It'd be if someone mugged me and then ran away on foot. I would feel less bad about it than if someone robbed me from a fucking little scooter. <laughs> you can't override me. 
I am designed to pilot this ship. Saul got very ominous very quickly. <laughs> open the open the pod bay doors, Hal. Hello. Hello. Sorry about that. Theo no needed a wee as well. I thought that might be the case. Obviously not in the same place. <laughs> Just imagine you guys like you got a ur- like two urinals side by side. <laughs> so, Paul, how are you? Yeah, no worries. He needed some biscuits and a big drink. Don't we all? <laughs> well, until then, we'll be back in a couple of... Oh, Christ almighty. <laughs> Thank God I'm not the only one. <laughs>